The opinions and suggestions expressed on the following program are solely those of the participants and not necessarily endorsed by program sponsors or any radio station, media company, or platform broadcasting this program. The following program is a product of Causeway LLC. The information in this broadcast is not intended as investment, tax, or financial advice. Matthew Moore is not a licensed investment advisor and speaks solely from his experience and opinions. All information in this broadcast is for entertainment or educational purposes only. Matthew Moore, Causeway LLC, and the company or platform broadcasting this program is not responsible for the success or failure of any person's investment decisions or purchases. Matthew Moore, Causeway LLC, and the company or platform broadcasting this program makes no and expressly disclaims all representations, warranties, and guarantees with respect to this broadcast and its sponsors. Investing in any market is inherently risky and can be financially dangerous. Invest at your own risk. Coming. Government officials insist we will continue Welcome to Cryptocurrency with Matthew J. Moore, the Bitcoin-focused radio show that's waking the masses to the fiat money Ponzi scheme. Money is changing and your freedom is at stake. So stick around and learn how to empower yourself for this new digital age. Now, here's your host, Matthew J. Moore. And welcome, America, and welcome, world. That's right, no matter where you are or what you're doing, I want to welcome every single one of you Bitcoin lovers, newbies, maybe. Just maybe you're an expert as well. We welcome you all because we have a little bit of everything on this show and we're here to educate. We talk a lot about some really great topics around Bitcoin and blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And the one thing that's got me the most excited is my guest co-host today, Rick Jackson. That's right. He's in studio. You've heard him on some other shows, but he's joining us here today once again. And uh, if you're wondering like, what are we going to talk about today? What's our topic? Well, I'm going to hand that off to Rick because he's going to give the breakdown, the the skinny, I should say, on what we're going to be covering and who we're going to be covering today. The what and the who. And That's today right. today's episode is a great episode. It is a year in preview. Okay. We're going to go through what's in store for 2024. Our special guest is Dennis Porter, CEO of Satoshi Action Fund. He's going to help us understand the lay of the land. He's going to take us through the next 12 months leading into an election, leading into the political season. We're going to talk about all the po policy efforts that he's working on, what's going on around the country at the state level, and also, of course, near and dear to our heart, the great policy efforts taking place in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, baby, boomer sooner, as some would say, right? Absolutely. Um, but hey, before we jump, uh, before I, we dive in the conversation with uh, with Dennis and, and you, you take us down that road, I do need to give a quick shout out to Brian LaRue. He's our producer. He's the one that has made those beautiful intros and outros that you hear on this show every single time. So if you're maybe a podcast uh, content creator, maybe you even want to do a radio show, maybe you're a musician, go check him out at beyondyouproductions.com. He will do everything from start to finish. I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. That is beyondyouproductions.com. All right, Rick, take us off and into the promised land. Okay, well, today on the line, we have, again, Dennis Porter, CEO of Satoshi Action Fund. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us. And for those, of, for those who don't know who you are, Share with everyone in your own words what you do, why you're here, what you love to talk about. Hey, Rick and Matt, glad to be on. Uh, thank you so much, Matt. I've been on the show before. You know, I'm a big fan. Uh, also, uh, love the jersey today. We got to be repping our favorite uh, European football team. For those of you that don't know, he's wearing a real Bedford jersey. Uh, go Pirates. Um, yeah, glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dennis Porter. I am the CEO and co-founder of Satoshi Action Fund. That is a nonprofit which advocates for Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining at the state level. Uh, we also go to D.C. occasionally, but there's not a whole lot going on there. So we go to the states, we go to Oklahoma, and we fight for your rights to mine Bitcoin and to access, hold, and uh, store Bitcoin, self-custody Bitcoin, as well as run a node. So we've had a ton of success. In 2023, we passed two bills into law in Montana and Arkansas in our very first legislative cycle. And in 2024, we're poised to pass up to 10 bills. So we've got 16 states we're operating in right now, including the amazing state of Oklahoma um, and a whole lot more coming down the road. So excited to have uh, this conversation with the both of you. That's right. And you know, I, I'm definitely team Dennis Porter, Satoshi Action Fund. In fact, you should probably get a jersey as well, uh, because I would most certainly wear it. I was telling uh, Peter when he was here doing his uh, interview with us, I was like, hey, man, you got pretty sweet jerseys. I'll go down there and buy one. Hey, I, you could be missing out on a new revenue stream here, Dennis. So I, I'm definitely on your side here. But uh, the, the, the cool thing about what you're doing and, and what's taking place is, yes, I love the fact that our own state, Oklahoma, 
is in the mix. And uh, if you're listening to this show in Chicago or even in Oklahoma City, uh, the two new cities that we are uh, broadcasting in, uh, welcome, because this is going to be a great conversation. We're going to be, like Rick was saying, discussing kind of this idea around Bitcoin policy, around Bitcoin mining, about your right to self-custody. So, Dennis, give us a little bit of history of the digital asset regulation from your perspective. I mean, because we've had kind of maybe these different major eras uh, when it comes to policy. And uh, can you kind of like give us those eras? I mean, what where are we right now? Yeah, I mean, there has been some very big eras in the Bitcoin and broader digital asset policy space. Uh, you know, I would say pre-2013, there were very few people that were trying. There were some attempts to be able to push some policy forward. But I, I think that just so few people knew or understand uh, what was going on with Bitcoin and digital assets. The education gap was really too far, too wide for anyone to be concerned. Um, moving forward, go, going into the 2014 and beyond, you know, Bitcoin Bitcoin really started to get into the minds of people, particularly around 2017. In fact, that's when I became uh, a Bitcoiner. That's when I discovered this technology and have since, you know, sort of spent the rest of the, you know, seven years, the next seven years focused on it and trying to find for ways for the United States to be a leader on this technology. Um, but then move forward, if you go into like the 2020 era, all of a sudden we see there's a lot of focus on Bitcoin, but it's a lot of negative focus. We see lawmakers, policymakers trying to attack the industry, trying to go after it. And that is, in fact, when I launched uh, my organization eventually in 2022 to be able to go and fight on behalf of Bitcoin miners. Um, we do Bitcoin as well. And of course, the laws that we pass are tech neutral, so they will protect the broader industry. Um, and so digital assets are protected under everything that we do. But uh, during that era, you really be, things became extremely hostile, especially when the FTX collapse occurred. Oh yeah, mm. you started to see folks like Elizabeth Warren, you know, really go to war, go to toe to toe with the industry. Wow. And so we're really proud now in post 2022, 2023, 2024. Hopefully, we see ourselves moving into a new era. We believe we do, where lawmakers um, are are going to start to understand this technology better and fight on behalf to protect it. So that's where we feel like we're at right now. We feel like we're on the edge of really changing the narrative around Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining so that lawmakers understand it. We're starting that fight at the state level and we feel like we've been very successful in doing so and alongside a lot of our other great partners as well. Right, and I, and I think we can even, if you crack open the history books and go way back, this isn't the first time that we've had these kind of back and forth with policymakers. If you go to the 1970s, the original crypto wars about mm. uh, encryption functions as, as just the technology, now it's just the next evolution. So I'm sure we can learn from, from lessons of the past. But... It seems like government policy, now that we're talking about Bitcoin and other digital assets on CNBC, you're hearing it out of Washington, it's circulating down at the state level, that that policy is going to be a big factor in the months and years ahead for Bitcoin in the world of, of crypto generally. So, so Dennis, for 2024, can you give the audience kind of the current lay of the land when it comes to policy in the United States? What, what are the key things that people want to pay attention to? Yeah, key factors uh, at the federal level is going to be keeping an eye on any of the efforts by Elizabeth Warren to go after the space. She currently has a bill which she pitches as light touch regulation, which is more or less a backdoor ban on the technology to be able to actually use it yourself. Now, yeah, you can you know you can have someone else hold your Bitcoin, you can have someone else mine for you. That's a government regulated entity, but you can't do it yourself. Um, and I think that's really a, you know disconnecting the ability for the American people to access what is one of the most important technologies, um, probably for the next hundred years, in my opinion. Now, some people might think that's a little hyperbolic, but I, I do believe that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining in particular will have really sort of hard to measure the impact that they will have on the energy sector and on um, the money sector and finance sector. Um, another big part to keep an eye on in Washington, D.C. is going to be how this presidential election turns out. You know, a lot of Elizabeth Warren's power comes from the fact that the Biden administration has given it to her. So we could see uh, changes there, but I also would tell people don't Put, you know, put all your eggs in one basket. Don't assume that when the next administration comes in, that they will uh, sort of overturn the apple cart and change things up. It, it could very well maintain the same status quo. Um, also in D.C., keep an eye on who is going to fill the chair of financial services on the House side. That is going to be vacated. Um, we have the current chair who is retiring at the end of the year from Congress. And so they're going to be replaced. They're currently 
extremely pro crypto, extremely pro Bitcoin. And so at, you know, hopefully we can find someone that can fill, fill that role. Um, maybe like a French Hill, Patrick McHenry is the gentleman that's mm, leaving. Yep. Uh, maybe we can get a French Hill in there. That's that, that would be great, but keep an eye on the potential for someone to fill it. That is not as pro crypto or is not as pro Bitcoin. Right. Um, very troubling there as well. And then lastly, of course, all of our work at the state level, we are currently active in a 16 states. That number might increase. It's up from 13 just earlier this year, where we will be trying to pass laws to protect, you know. I think we lost you there for a minute, Dennis. But that's okay, because the connection usually comes back. There we are. Dennis, can you hear us? I'm back. When? There how much go. did you lose for me? Uh, basically did, nothing. Yeah, basically nothing. Continue. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, just the last thing there, I said the last point was at the state level, keep an eye on the work that Satoshi Action is doing. So we will be working in up to 16 states, trying to pass laws to protect your right to mine, your right to self-custody, your right to access and hold Bitcoin and digital assets. So that's going to be the major areas to look at as we move forward from the policy perspective. Yep. Life, well, liberty, and property. That's right. Everybody always forgets that whole property aspect right. of it. But well, uh, go ahead. Sorry. I would say, so De So Dennis, I, I'm going to key in on something because you said their presidential election. This would be, you know, you were launched in 2022. This is the first year the Satoshi Action Fund has been operating during a presidential election year. So have you had any, What? What? to what extent do you think a major nationwide election is going to impact interest or engagement on digital asset policy? I know down in down in Fort Worth a few months ago, we had then two presidential right. candidates speaking about their stances on Bitcoin. So, so Dennis, tell us, what do you think? What, what role does a presidential election play in the conversations that we're having around Bitcoin and digital assets? Uh, well, it could be, you know, pivotal in the future, depending on really sort of um, if we see a switch in, you know, the, if the Biden administration is not able to secure this next election and we see some sort of a switch, whether that be RFK, whether that be a Trump um, who is likely to win the primary. Um, and um, if some one of those one of those two comes in, we could see a major change around the way that digital assets are viewed at the federal level. Um, I don't know if there would be a lot that would get done on our behalf, but at bare minimum, we might see a reduction in hostilities from the federal government. Um, unfortunately, as many of you know, the folks that are in federal government today that are in those uh, bureaucratic seats that are in um, the, that are in the career positions, they might not necessarily go away just because we see a new administration come in. Mm -hmm. So it's just something to be aware of. Like we don't know, even if someone good comes in, we don't know how uh, significant it will impact the future. And that is really why myself and I know that Matt and many others and you, you as well, Rick, fight at the state level because we know we can make progress mm -hmm. and we know we can push uh, what we believe is an important issue forward. And we don't have to rely on the whims of those in Washington, D.C. That's right. I mean, the government closest to the people usually governs better. So uh, we actually love uh, participating in that, being a part of it. But Dennis, with with many of the presidential candidates uh, that have now taken a stance on Bitcoin, some of them are obviously not running anymore, but um, also some of them uh, have these oppositions as well to central bank digital currencies, which m many of us are not a fan of. How do you think this helps the overall narrative for what you're doing, I mean, has Bitcoin and this subject matter, central bank digital currencies, Bitcoin policy, has this now become mainstream because you have presidential candidates talking about this stuff? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, not to be confused with crypto and Bitcoin, which are also digital currencies, um, have become a very big focal point for folks in government. Every state that we go to, every lawmaker has heard of a CBDC and they know that they don't want it. And that's for good reason, because central bank digital currencies invite an extreme level of, of invasion of your privacy and control by the federal government and those within the banking sector over the money itself. And I would, I would like to propose that they have plenty of control as it is, uh, and inviting more power to the federal government will only on this issue of money will only increase the ability for those in the political realm to use money as a as a weapon, either it be against their political opponents, uh, against the American people, and so I I would sort of argue that we need to do everything we can to try to prevent pre predominantly the retail use of cbdc's you know if a bank is sending a cbdc to another bank i mean that's just like fedwire i don't i don't really care right. about that whole lot right. i care when you force this type of technology on the american people and and essentially keep an open log on everything they're doing at any given moment and then also creating a way for you to shut them out of the financial system at any given moment with 
with very, 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 very granular uh, tactical ability. So you could just go in and say, hey, I don't like this guy. I don't like this group of people who support this political issue that I don't agree with. And you could pick issues from the left or right pretty easily. You know, abortion clinics, gun gun stores, those are both hot, top, hot topic issues mm -hmm. that a president that is on the opposite side, if they were to get into power, could easily just push a button and, and shut them out of the financial system. And then you might, listen, if you might not like one of those things, you might say, hey, that's great. But it doesn't take very long for another president to come in and weaponize that power against you. And so I really say to American people, it's like, we need to be careful with how we allow the federal government to control this football, to control the money that we have. And I think that they have enough control and we should try to stymie that as much as we possibly can. But it's it's really making a big impact at the state level. Lawmakers are passing or trying to pass uh, bans on CBDCs. And once we educate them on the value of Bitcoin and that it is polar opposite to a CBDC, they are trying to pass pro-Bitcoin laws because they see the value of Bitcoin as a deterrent to CBS, to the central bank digital currencies. Well, we got about two minutes before we got to go to break. So Rick, do you want to ask uh, our final question for this segment? Yeah, well, I have one, one comment. I think all we have to do is look over at the social credit score in China yeah. to yeah, know that, it, to, to your point, Dennis, that you may, you may not agree or you may be against something that's being oppressed today, but tomorrow you might be the one. So that's, I think it's a fundamentally American idea that you oppose freedoms for their own sake rather than the ones you hold. But uh, to Matt's point, last question as we as we wrap up this segment, we recently did an episode on the show about Bitcoin ETFs. And so, like I said, it's been in the news, it's been all over the place. And now people have a method through tax advantaged accounts, through kind of your normal mom and pop going to Schwab, making investments, a way for them to be involved. So how do you think, Dennis, the pass or the approval of the Bitcoin ETFs has changed the dialogue around digital assets in in response to again and amongst all the other things that we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. The passage of the Bitcoin ETF approvals through the SEC was a major milestone for the industry, major milestone for Bitcoin, and a major milestone for America. Now, for the first time ever, not only can folks be able to go to their exchange accounts and buy a Bitcoin ETF directly, they can also now allow for the passage of uh, state pension funds and treasurers Huge. to look at potentially allocating a portion of those pension fund, fund management assets to the Bitcoin ETF. For those of you that don't follow me, my whole history, I've spent a lot of time trying to encourage states to add Bitcoin to their balance sheet. It was just a little bit of a bridge too far. But now that we have this ETF, now that a lot of the risk is eliminated when you purchase a Bitcoin ETF versus Bitcoin strictly yourself or as a pension fund, there is real eyeballs coming to Bitcoin, the Bitcoin ETF. And I do believe within the next 12 to 24 months, you will see a major state pension fund allocate into the Bitcoin ETF. It will take time. It could happen faster, but that's my guess as to when they'll start allocating into the space. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, we got 45 seconds before we're going to go to break here. Can you tell people where they can find you? Yes, uh, you can go to satoshiaction.io. You can check out all of our work. There's also a donate button there as well. We are, you know, sort of everything that we do is fueled by those that support our organization. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter X. It's uh, at Dennis underscore Porter underscore. And you can follow me there. I keep my DMs open. Would love to hear from everybody. I love it. All right. Well, if you're listening to this show on the radio, keep your dial tuned. Tell a friend to Hey, listen, turn on the radio. Hey, but if you're listening online, go ahead, give us a like, share, subscribe, do what you got to do to get the word out. Uh, we'll be right back. We've got a lot more conversation to cover with Dennis Porter with Satoshi Action Fund. I promise you, you're not going to be disappointed. You will learn something, but we have a whole lot more ground to cover. So you stay put. We'll be right back. We'll see you guys in just a second. Do you have Medicare and do you use a CPAP machine? This is a national healthcare alert regarding your CPAP supplies. Using a clean CPAP mask and clean supplies is important to staying healthy. The best way to make sure your CPAP equipment is clean is to get new supplies. If you have Medicare, we have great news. Medicare will pay for you to have new clean supplies every 90 days. We'll even do all the paperwork for you to make sure that there's little to no out-of-pocket cost to you. And you don't even have to leave your home. 
we provide free in-home delivery. So if you're a CPAP user and you have Medicare, staying healthy with new CPAP equipment is easy. Just make this free phone call right now to get started. Sponsored by Specialty Medical. 800-262-0318. What does it mean to be physically, spiritually, and financially free? The right to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness, these were the ideas that made America. But what happens to these ideas when America's money becomes compromised? What do you do when the very thing that you're working for day after day is fundamentally designed to enslave you? Whether it was a conspiracy or not, you won't believe what is about to happen in this country. Arm yourself today with the truth and build your life on the foundations for liberty. Rediscover freedom in the 21st century and grab a copy of my Amazon best-selling book, Foundations for Liberty. For just $11.99, you can support this radio show by finding a copy on Amazon or by going to mattjmore.com. Again, that's mattjmore.com. Don't wait, because freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. In times of economic uncertainty and chaos, your money means nothing. You may not even be able to get it from your bank or ATM. And the money you do have in the stock market will go down and down. What you can bank on is gold and silver. Gold and silver have been a reliable and trusted form of currency for thousands of years. Gold and silver have never been worth zero, and typically gold holds its value during economic turmoil. Call the gold hotline now and learn how to protect your money and your assets with gold and silver. And learn how to set up a new IRA or roll over your current one into a gold-backed IRA. Protect your money from the next market crash with gold and silver. Call now for your free gold guide. 800-795-3441. All right. Welcome back, America. It's round two. Ding, 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 ding of America's Bitcoin-focused radio show. One of the few places you can actually tune into as far as uh, traditional radio goes and learn about things like Bitcoin, blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, all the cool developments that are taking place because uh, this is a fast-paced environment and this technology does not wait for anybody. We're not just making history. We have made history. And today, our guest and topic is no different. Um, and in studio, I have my wonderful co-host, uh, Rick Jackson. He's here with me. He's going to help carry the conversation and just share a little bit about what we've been talking about over the mm -hmm. last segment because we were at break. And uh, you never know. People are tuning in all the time. So, Rick, why don't you give us the skinny on uh, what we've been talking about today? Yeah, so today is our 2024 year in preview. So a look forward, yep. not backwards. Special guests talking with us, Dennis Porter, CEO of Satoshi Action Fund. He's going to give you the breakdown, what you can expect in 2024, and all the great things that he's doing around the United States as it comes to protecting your rights to Bitcoin and other digital assets. Dennis, thanks again for coming back on. For those who just joined, would you please again share with the lovely audience who you are and what you do. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back. Um, glad to be here for round two, Rick and Matt. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Dennis Porter, the CEO and co-founder of Satoshi Action Fund. We are an organization that goes state by state to protect the right to access Bitcoin and digital assets, the right to mine Bitcoin. Uh, we have seen attacks take place in the United States on these technologies. And so we try to stand in the gap to protect this industry at the state level. Um, we very much think that we have the upper hand here in the situation, and uh, we're going to be passing law in up to 10 states this year. So very excited to be back and continuing the conversation. Fantastic. And, and a, a quick recap from segment one. We went through a little bit of the history of regulation here in the United States. Dennis broke down kind of what he experienced in pre-2013, then in 2017, 2020, kind of the way that things have moved left and right, what's going on in Washington, what's now going on in the states. We talked about the passage of the Bitcoin ETFs, about what states are doing in that space, which, Dennis, to our next question, now that the spot ETFs, we've, we touched on this a little in the first segment, now that the spot ETFs have been approved, they're authorized, and you can make investments, what are your thoughts about states investing in spot ETFs versus perhaps owning Bitcoin directly? Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it just 
appears to be too risky uh, for these state pension fund managers and the state treasurers to consider buying Bitcoin and custodying it themselves. I mean, I can completely understand there is some risks associated with that. And it's a brand new technology. And the, the, the people that are in these spaces in the pension space are very, very risk averse. Mm -hmm. And so because of the launch of the Bitcoin ETF, we are seeing a very significant de-risking of buying and holding Bitcoin while having direct exposure to the asset itself. So I firmly believe, believe alongside my team members that states and their pensions, their pension fund managers and their treasurers will start looking at and allocating towards this technology, towards Bitcoin. But we're not just going to sit on our hands and wait for it to happen. Mm -hmm. We are going to be driving that conversation forward. Our team has crafted what's called a model resolution, and we want we want state lawmakers to introduce this resolution and to pass it. And what that resolution will do is it'll essentially say to the state treasurer and the pension fund managers that we want them to research and study the Bitcoin ETF so that they can become more comfortable with this technology and understand the value it can have. And so that then eventually they will allocate to the Bitcoin ETF. And I'm very bullish on Bitcoin, as, as you could probably assume. I do believe that a small allocation of Bitcoin to an ET via an ETF to a state pension fund will have a massive impact on helping to fund some of these underfunded state mm. pension fund programs. Well, to be fair, Dennis, as I hear you tweet all the time, you're we're probably I'm probably not bullish enough. I know you're pretty bullish, but uh, here in Oklahoma, what's been great is on the ground level. Uh, you know, we've got people like Rick and myself who really want this great policy to happen in Oklahoma, whether it's, you know, the efforts that we've taken place in 2019, the bills that you're running, or even some of the bills that uh, State Senator Nathan Dom and some other representatives here in the state of Oklahoma are running uh, that aren't necessarily correlated exactly, but they're all very beneficial if they go somewhere. And one of the ideas that I was kicking around that I, I wanted Senator Dom to run in Oklahoma was just for us to have a general task force. I mean, just so we can start the dialogue on an official state level, get some key players in there to create an official report that goes to the governor, the Senate, the House of Representatives. Um, it's, in my opinion, it's not too controversial, but it does get the ball rolling in the right direction as far as conversations go. What is your thought uh, when it comes to passing legislation in different states? I mean, is having a task force at the state level uh, something that might be a potential to, to get lawmakers going in the right direction? Because let's, let's be honest. I mean, sometimes they don't always show up to the interim studies. Yeah, I mean, it just really depends on the state you're operating in. You know, in the state of Oklahoma, you do your interim studies way in advance, and you need those in order to effectively pass policy once you get to session. So that's a really great system. We like that. Uh, we were engaged in that with you and others this last year. And so that's why we're in a great position to get some good policy, some reasonable policy pushed forward uh, in the state of Oklahoma. With other states, it's it varies by state from state to state. So some states love to do these study groups. They love to do these commissions and these task forces, and they are effective and they work well. As an example, in the state of New Hampshire, they do a great job putting these together, uh, particularly Rep. Keith Ammon up there has done an incredible job leading the charge on all sorts of different commissions, including a crypto commission, a nuclear commission. Um, so he has done a great work and it, it does have an impact, but some states you go to and they're like, you know, they, they couldn't be less interested in a commission or a task force. <laughs> they think that they're just some, another form of government bureaucracy and, and bloat. Ultimately, I take a middle ground there. It really just depends, I think, ultimately on who you get to be a part of it and if there's real buy-in to participate and make a difference. And if you can get that, which I think you do have in the state of Oklahoma, it can make a very big difference on the future for your state. Well, their, their loss is our gain. Well, we will happily carry the mantle. Uh, so we were talking about kind of what we're working on here in Oklahoma. But Dennis, can you share with some of us the policy wins that Satoshi Action Fund has been able to accomplish both in the past now, you've, you've mentioned the states that you've worked in, but can you, can you describe kind of in a little more detail what it is that those policies were directed towards and, and what the, the, the wins were in having them passed? Absolutely. So in 2023, we were able to pass into law two bills, one in Montana and one in Arkansas. And that bill, which both of them were relatively the same, small minor differences, that bill essentially protects your right to mine Bitcoin through eliminating very specific forms of discrimination at the local level. As an example, there is uh, some folks who are pretty upset about some noise from a Bitcoin miner, 
in the state of Arkansas. And so they wanted to create special regulations that were just for Bitcoin miners. Now, listen, I understand you don't want, nobody wants a lot of noise in their backyard, but uh, where I differ from maybe where others do is that I don't think we should have laws that target uh, certain groups. I don't think we should have laws that pick winners and losers. Amen. I think that we should create laws that are equally uh, applied across industry. And so we're very supportive of you know a noise ordinance that is equally applied. But in that state, there was an attempt to create special noise ordinances to really sort of ban Bitcoin mining from certain parts of the state. Um, and you know, not only am I a big, you know, Bitcoiner. I'm, I'm very pro business in the sense that I want to see, you know, our economy do well. I want to see jobs be created. Um, and if you want to see those programs be funded, if you want to see people be able to be taken care of, you're going to need a thriving economy to do that. So, so I really did not like what was happening there on the ground. And ultimately our law was passed uh, and signed by the governor. And eventually our bill protected Bitcoin miners there across the entire state mm. from attempts to pass these discriminatory types of noise ordinances. Now there's other types of discrimination that are eliminated, such as discriminatory zoning changes, discriminatory rate changes, um, and also the ability to protect Bitcoin miners from overburdensome regulations, which don't apply to them because um, it's a money transmitter license thing and they, they're not money transmitter licenses. Uh, they're not money transmitters so that it shouldn't apply to them. So ultimately at the end of the day, it's very reasonable policy. And that's why despite Bitcoin being in an absolute bear market, FTX collapsing around us, uh, everyone saying that Bitcoin is dead, it's never going to come back again. Lawmakers were like, wow, this is so reasonable. There's no reason why we shouldn't pass this policy. And that's why it was passed in a law in Montana and Arkansas. Um, and it will also now be passed in our new policy, which is an updated version called the Blockchain Basics Act. We also call it a digital bill of rights. We're poised to pass that law in up to 16 states this year. Uh, already, we've had Nebraska, uh, we've had Virginia, we've had Missouri, and we've had uh, Indiana introduce this policy. And breaking news, uh, I haven't even announced it yet. You're you're going to get it uh, first here. I will be announcing it on Twitter, so I might beat you to the <laughs> beat you to the interwebs with it. That's fine. Uh, but Tennessee has also announced that uh, the House and the Senate have both introduced uh, our, our Blockchain Basics Act, our fundamental bill of rights for Bitcoin miners and Bitcoiners across the United States. So we're very excited to be doing that in Tennessee, which is a major hub for Bitcoin activity. Woo, Dennis, you're getting me all hot and flustered here. This is awesome. Well, you know what? Congratulations. We are so excited. We're pumped uh, for the work that you're doing, and I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Um, how, how important, though, is it, in, in your opinion, um, because we've got organizations like the Texas Blockchain Council, and then here in Oklahoma, the, new, the more recently formed um, Oklahoma Bitcoin Association, Oklahoma Blockchain Council. Me and Rick are definitely involved with both of those. I mean, we're advising, we're helping. Um, how how important is it when it comes to overall like policy direction involvement at the state government level? Um, should we have organizations like this to get stuff done? Yeah, those these organizations play a critical role in moving the ball forward for what is a nascent technology, especially a technology that has come under pretty significant political discrimination and political attack despite it being an incredible technology that has so much to offer, everything from protecting the savings of those that are on fixed income to being able to balance our grid. Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining have so much to give. And so that's why I've decided to dedicate at least this portion of my life for a time being to be able to go in there and, and protect this industry. So um, there's a lot of great organizations out there that are doing incredible work, everything from the federal level to the state level to a nationwide state approach, which is our effort. We want to go state by state and be able to pass these laws. And we're excited to be working with um, all sorts of different groups, particularly the Oklahoma groups as well, to get these things done. Because really, at the end of the day, we craft and manage produce policy. We help get it through the through the pipeline, but it's our partners on the ground who are in touch with the community and who understand what the state needs that play a critical role in helping us to be able to move the ball forward in a way that makes sense for everyone in that state. Mm, fighting the good fight. So so as, as someone, as you say, who's traveling nationwide, going state by state, as an organization who's engaging with a lot of different governments, a lot of different policymakers, trying to transform policy, what advice would you give to people in their own state, in their own communities who are on the ground about how they can engage with policymakers or lawmakers about how they or their organizations could proceed to make better policy, to make better government, to help drive synergies between what you're working on, what the state organizations are working on, what the Bitcoin industry and digital asset industries are all working on? How, how, how should someone move forward who'd like to, to take, take their future into their own hands? 
Yeah. I mean, if you're working at one of these organizations, one of the best things that you can do is just start building relationships. Relationships are the fuel that make things move forward at the state and federal level, particularly at the state level. So immediately you need to go in and start building relationships, find the people that are going to be working with you. Maybe find a champion is what we call it in the policy space where you, where you find a lawmaker that really understands the issue. You're able to really eloquently explain it to them. And then they take that issue on themselves and they start to champion it and start to push the needle, you know, push the ball forward um, in the state itself. So that is a really big accomplishment if you're able to pull that off. And I, I would say that that is, if you're in a state, that's probably one of going to be your number one, you know, to-do lists of of items to check off. And uh, I know in Oklahoma, you've got uh, several folks that are really pushing forward uh, Bitcoin and digital asset policy, including Senator Nathan Dom um, and others. So we're really excited to be working in the state. And and for those that want to just, you know, they don't want to launch an organization, they just want to make a difference. You know, we do have uh, the the ability to volunteer occasionally. You can come testify potentially in the state when we go there for policy. Um, or if you meet a lawmaker or if you know a lawmaker, you know their family, you know, maybe talk to them about this issue and then guide them to one of these organizations that are really focused on this stuff. Because it's really the people that kind of do this for a living, do it for a career that are the best at it. You know, that's why they do it. Um, don't expect yourself to take a lawmaker from not knowing Bitcoin to wanting to pass a Bitcoin law. That's a very special skill that some people have. Um, and so if you're looking for an organization to do that with, we're happy to help act as a resource. Uh, I know that the uh, okay, uh, the Oklahoma Blockchain Association uh, and also the Oklahoma Bitcoin Association are more than willing to help with both of those things. Well, before I throw you the next question, uh, tell people where they can actually plug in to your stuff. Tell them your website, how they can donate. I mean, uh, you never know who's listening. Yeah. You can go to satoshiaction.io to be able to learn more about our organization. If you're interested in donating, there is a donate button there. Uh, all the money goes straight to helping us advocate for Bitcoin and digital assets. And we have a big fight in front of us. You know, Every dollar that we spend goes into this fight. And that's why we're able to be so successful. There are so, quite a few people who have decided that they love what we're doing and they have decided that they do want to support us. Uh, but you know, we could be doing more. We could be winning faster, so to speak, and, and scoring more victories for Bitcoin and digital assets in the United States. So go to satoshiaction.io, uh, click that donate button and become a supporter today. Love it. Do it, guys. Absolutely do it. Well, hey, uh, with all of the noise in the space, you've got the, the people who maybe not know what they're talking about. Maybe they're just high critics of it. Maybe they're providing some major alpha, some insight on some things. Uh, but you kind of get involved in the in the narrative quite a bit on Twitter, you know, when it comes to digital asset regulation, who should we be paying attention to? Who should we maybe not listen to? I mean, where should we get the good information? That's a great question. Yeah, there are a lot of great groups out there that are sharing good information. You know, at the federal level, you've got Coin Center, you've got the Digital Chamber, Blockchain Association. These are great teams that have been leading the effort there in D.C. You know, at the state level, look up your local council. You know, we've already mentioned the Oklahoma ones a couple times, but there's ones in almost every single state. You know, reach out to them, make contact, try to see what you can do to make a difference. Uh, those are definitely the types of groups that you're going to want to reach out to. Um, and of course, at Satoshi Action, we're more than happy to connect with anybody that wants to help us make a difference. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've got three minutes before we got to go to break here. But uh, Rick, I mean, what what's your thoughts on the overall scrutiny? I mean, people like Dennis is doing amazing work. I mean, mm -hmm. should we just ignore the haters? Well, so I, th I think it is important in almost kind of like a strategic sense that you want to listen to the good people that Dennis has mentioned, right? but you also want to listen to the influential antagonists. So I think we mentioned earlier <laughs> that uh, that Senator Warren has, has a platform and she communicates a very anti-Bitcoin, anti-digital asset perspective. Now, we, she may she may want to distinguish that. She may say that she's anti-you being able to control it. Right. And totally okay with, with it being centralized or through, through the government. So I, I do think it is important when you're when you're engaging in the conversation or the narrative that you want to hear both sides of the dialogue. It's just sometimes some of that dialogue is a lot more noise than signal. But coming from a, sit, a sitting senator, that's, I think, un, for good or for bad, that's a very high alpha communication stream is that you're, you're going to know what's communicating. I follow... I follow all of the senators who talk. I follow the House Finance Committee. I follow all those groups. And so, it's, again, I like to see both sides because you want to know, if you're looking at the chessboard, you want to know where everybody's got their pieces. Dennis, real quick, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, definitely. hundred percent agree. You know, always good to keep an eye on, on the folks that are opposed to this industry, just to hear what they're saying and, and see what they're doing. Especially if you're in the Bitcoin and digital asset industry, you're going to want to know who your opponents are. And, uh, you know, the, the sort of analogy about playing chess is really uh, a good one here. I think it stands. You certainly want to be aware of what Elizabeth Warren is trying to do. And currently she is trying to pass a backdoor ban on Bitcoin mining, on self-custody. She wants to really sever the ability for the American people to access this technology. And she's really running around pitching it as light touch regulation. I think it's pretty despicable considering that this law, if it were to pass today, would criminalize the ability for people to self-custody Bitcoin. Wow. Well, it's like they say, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Well, hey, I'm, you know, hey, guess what? There's everybody's got heroes and villains in each uh, industry and space. But uh, Dennis, you're definitely one of the heroes. And we thank you for all your hard work. If you guys are listening to this show on the radio, you're listening, maybe uh, it's Friday. You're in Chicago. You're in Oklahoma City. Call up a friend. Tell them to tune in uh, because this is this is awesome information. In fact, if uh, you're listening online, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, I don't care where you listen. I want you to leave a comment. I want you to like. I want you to share. I want you guys to be a part of the conversation because I think it's important that the people's voice is heard. So go ahead. Tell us what you think of this conversation and about uh, the work that uh, Dennis and Satoshi Action Fund is doing. Uh, but we've got to go to break. We've got one more segment. I promise you won't be disappointed. We'll be right back with more great content with Cryptocurrency with Matthew J. Moore. If you're the kind of person that likes to drive a lot and your car is a little older and out of the normal warranty, keep listening. What's going on underneath the hood of your car? If your car is out of warranty, you're at risk of expensive repair bills. Now, for a couple of dollars a day, you can get an extended protection plan for your car. You love your car, so why not give it a little extra care and make sure if something goes wrong, your bank account is safe. Literally, for a couple of dollars a day, you can give yourself peace of mind that you've purchased a top-tier vehicle repair coverage plan. Call the Auto Protection Network right now and ask how you could save an additional $500 on your policy. 800-987-0618 800-987-0618 That's 800-987-0618 Come on. You watch the news, be prepared to pay more taxes. Then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready. The IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you. With the power to collect taxes by any means they want to. Hey, they can freeze your bank account, your passport, even padlock your business. <laughs> Good times. Look, if the IRS claims you owe them 5000 or more in back taxes and they're coming after you, don't panic. Call my friends at Get a Tax Lawyer first. Their job is to negotiate with the IRS and save you money. They're experts at it. That's all they do. And you can trust them. In some cases, they have reduced a $50,000 tax bill to less than $1,000. If you owe the IRS $5,000 or more in back taxes, call now for a free consultation. Call 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. What does it mean to be physically, spiritually, and financially free? The right to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness, these were the ideas that made America. But what happens to these ideas when America's money becomes compromised? What do you do when the very thing that you're working for day after day is fundamentally designed to enslave you? Whether it was a conspiracy or not, you won't believe what is about to happen in this country. Arm yourself today with the truth and build your life on the foundations for liberty. Rediscover freedom in the 21st century and grab a copy of my Amazon best-selling book, Foundations for Liberty. For just $11.99, you can support this radio show by finding a copy on Amazon or by going to mattjmore.com. Again, that's mattjmore.com. Don't wait, because freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And we are back, America. It is the final 
wonderful round of America's Bitcoin-focused radio show. That's right. This is Cryptocurrency with Matthew J. Moore, one of America's only radio shows in the traditional sense that's focused on this wonderful topic known as cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, Bitcoin. We want to cover the basics. We want to cover it from a 30,000-foot view so the layman can understand, but... Hey, even the experts, we're going to be talking about some things that may, hey, sometimes it even goes over my head. So do not feel bad. This place is always growing, always evolving. And to help me unpack this episode in this final segment is our new host, Rick Jackson. He's been joining us uh, for this conversation. Rick, why don't you give the listeners, because you never know who's tuning in and when they're tuning in. Mm -hmm what we've been talking about and uh, how we're going to close out the show. Sure. So quick recap. Again, this is the year in preview. What's coming in 2024 as we lead primarily into an election season, presidential elections here in November in the United States, and to talk about some of the great things being done as the industry engages with politicians and policymakers we have on the line. Special guest, Dennis Porter, CEO of Satoshi Action Fund. Dennis, thanks again for joining us one more time. Rick and Matt, glad to be back. Round three, uh, ready to get after it. Let's do it. Don't you love the sound of that, Rick and Matt? Yeah. It almost sounds like Rick and Morty. Let's, let's not go crazy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's dive into the questions here. Um, hey, Dennis, uh, you know, if there's somebody who has been listening to this program, maybe they're listening now, they've been listening to the whole thing, they have a high interest in getting involved with positive uh, Bitcoin policy. Um, first and foremost, we've talked about it in other segments. Just remind people how they can get involved with your efforts because you've already passed meaningful legislation in multiple states. Uh, tell them where they can go, how they can donate. Because um, I, I know we're reiterating that, but it's so important to what you're doing. Absolutely, Matt. Yeah, thank you again for having me on and letting me share about the work that we are pursuing at Satoshi Action. You know, I, I have to say, I don't know if this is true, but I haven't found anyone else, any other group that's passed pro-Bitcoin laws in multiple states. We may have been the first to ever pull it off, and we're about to double down, triple down, maybe quadruple down on those efforts by passing law in up to 10 states this coming or this current legislative cycle. So we're really well positioned to be able to defend the rights of Bitcoin and digital asset holders. Uh, Bitcoin miners, you name it, uh, we're coming. We're going. We're coming fast, and we're uh, going to make sure that the United States is the best place in the world to be a Bitcoin miner and a Bitcoin holder. Uh, very excited to be announcing today that Tennessee is joining the other four states. Um, I know we have an announcement for Oklahoma as well, too, but I don't know when and how or where we're going to share that one. But okay. I'm really excited to be working in Oklahoma as well. Well, well that, go ahead. We're Sorry. ringing the bell here in the studio. You just didn't hear, but we're, we're we're excited. We're glad Tennessee is on board. And again, Dennis, remind us how many states are you working with and you're you're trying to advance policy in? Yeah, I mean, right now it's 16. It's up from 13 just earlier this year. Mm. Uh, and that number could actually increase too because of the Bitcoin resolution, the Bitcoin ETF resolution that we're trying to pass at the state level mm. to ensure that state pension fund managers and treasurers take a look at the ETF and hopefully and inevitably choose to allocate towards that Bitcoin ETF. So there could be up to 20 states uh, if we get lucky this year. So I don't know how we're going to pull it off, but luckily they've got some really great software out there that helps us manage these, uh, these things these days. So technology is getting better and better every day. Okay, well, let's say somebody's just an average constituent of a certain political district, right? Maybe someone in Chicago. Maybe, yeah, maybe Oklahoma City. Who knows? What What do they do? I mean, do they call their legislator? Do they send them an email? How, if they need to communicate this narrative of, hey, I support this Bitcoin legislation, I support what Satoshi Action Fund is doing. Uh, I support my own rights to own my own property. That's that's exactly right. And I and I I couldn't occur, concur more more. But how do you suggest? You I mean you've been talking to lawmakers for a long time. How do you suggest they go about the narrative? That's a great question for how people can get involved. If you are the average American and you want to make a difference for Bitcoin at your state level, local level, or even federal level, there's a lot of things you can do, but nothing is more powerful than showing up. If you show up, you go knock on doors, you go help to talk to lawmakers, you write letters educating them on this stuff. It is extremely impactful for lawmakers. Uh, there's time and time again, I hear lawmakers tell me, you know, that when they look at how they're going to vote on something and they're not really sure how to vote, they say they turn to their staffers and they say, how many letters did we get opposing and supporting this law? It does make a big difference. So if you are one of those people who doesn't have the time to start a career in Bitcoin policy, but you want to make a difference, then you can send letters, you can show up to volunteer days. 
And you can donate to candidates that support this industry, that support Bitcoin. All of those things make a huge difference. And of course, as always, you can donate to Satoshi Action, help us to continue to fight for Bitcoin at the state level. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know on the from the boots on the ground perspective, Matt and I can tell you from experience, when we say there's nothing more powerful than showing up in person, oh, yeah. the the bar is actually pretty low on the floor. I mean, if you're <laughs> if know. you show up to the room, you might be one of maybe 10, yeah. 12. 20 people, you you will get noticed. You'll have an opportunity to engage, especially at the state level. And that's why I think why we focus on it. You have the opportunity to directly engage with your elected representatives on the things that matter to you. And so with that, Dennis, we've talked a lot about like what you're working on, what where you're working on it. But can you tell us just from a personal perspective, what legislative developments, whether you're tracking it, whether you're proposing it, but just industry, uh, industry-wide, what are you most excited about here and say what you're working on maybe in the next year what what's what's got your attention what gets you out of bed in the morning oh it's certainly the work of trying to pass laws to protect bitcoiners at the state level you know when i decided to get into the political space for bitcoin i was not a you know career politician i didn't spend my time in the policy world you know as a political junkie probably just like everybody else who watches tv every day but i never really had a career in the space but i knew that i needed to make a difference i saw what was coming and I saw that there wasn't enough being done. And uh, I knew that we were going to be under attack. And that's why I decided to launch Satoshi Action Fund to be able to fight on behalf of Bitcoiners and Bitcoin miners at the state level to be able to make sure the United States protects and encourages the adoption of this industry instead of trying to fight it. And so now that we are in a position to implement that mission and to be able to deliver on the vision of America being the best place in the world to be a Bitcoiner, I couldn't be more excited and it is what gets me out of bed. And it's also what keeps me up late at night working to make sure that these states pass these laws because it's not just about getting them introduced. That's almost, I wouldn't say that's the easy part, but it is certainly just one part of the process. Now, we're, let's take Missouri, for example. We got the bill introduced in Missouri. We did this last year, and we actually didn't get it across the finish line. So we are back in year two trying to get this bill done in Missouri, and the bill gets introduced, and the bill is getting ready for a hearing, and then, bam, I have five days warning to fly to Missouri and go testify for the hearing there. So it is an all-intense, hands-on-deck type of experience, mm. but it is what keeps me uh, sort of going every day, and I couldn't be more excited, as I said, to be protecting the rights of Bitcoiners and Bitcoin miners across this country. All right. Well, Dennis, valid points, super valid points. And, and I think we all need to take that to heart, to your words of advice there and your experience and your knowledge. I mean, people like you are the tip of the spear. So again, thank you. Uh, but I do want to give you the opportunity specifically because, um, we've asked you a lot of questions and we got a, about an, a minute. Um, is there anything that we didn't mention or talk about that you want to just briefly say? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on in the space. You know, all over we see uh, different groups trying to be able to advocate for this industry and for this space. But at the heart of why at least I decide to do that is because this technology will deliver an incredible amount of innovation to the United States. Innovation that we have not seen since the dawn of the internet age. And fortunately, policymakers in the United States dodged a couple bullets and decided that the United States would be a leader on open internet technology. And that is why we have seen trillions of dollars of economic development and growth take place here in America. Mm -hmm. Economic growth, which could have taken place anywhere, but it took place here because we had resilient and intelligent and forward-thinking policymakers that saw the potential of that technology and did everything that they could to make sure that America was the leader, the world leader on it. And now we have that same exact opportunity right in front of us again, Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining. What are we going to do? Are we going to restrict it because it upsets the status quo? Or are we going to fight to make sure that we let this technology flourish and make sure the American people benefit it? benefit from it and make sure the rest of the world ultimately sees our leadership and follows us down this path of building a bright, what we call a bright orange future in the Bitcoin space. I love it. It was excellent. Guys, we got to go. This has been a great show. Great interview. Thank you, Dennis, for joining us on uh, America's Bitcoin focused radio show. We'll have you and see you next time. Uh, If you missed the show or you want to share it with somebody, feel free to go to mattjmore.com. We'll see you guys, same time, same place. Adios.